Good morning, friends. It is good to be together. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is John Thorpe, and uh, it's fantastic to have uh, both of our congregations together in, or three congregations together in one room at one time, which is wonderful. And uh, if you are new amongst us, if you are guests with friends or family, uh, or just you saw an invitation uh, during the week, then a particular welcome to you, and it's great to have you uh, here. Uh, we're going to spend some time now just reflecting on what we have just read and what it means to be gathered together uh, and remember the events of Jesus on the cross. So let me pray and then we'll spend uh, time in this book of John. Dear Lord, as we gather this morning to remember the events of Jesus dying on the cross, I pray I will speak faithfully from your word and that through it we'll come to understand that we are more sinful than we think and more loved than we can imagine. Amen. It's funny how the same words can have a very different association uh, depending on the context. Uh, so if you put the words, it is finished, in the context of your essay, uh, or building a house, or baking a cake, uh, then they're all positive associations. You're quite pleased. Uh, you've reached the end and the end is good. If, on the other hand, uh, we're talking about your political career uh, or your football career, then I suspect I need to say no more. That it is finished does not have positive associations at all. The, the boat has fallen short. Uh, you've injured, uh, you've dropped out of the top eight, whatever's happened, it is finished, is not good. Uh, in our reading today, uh, we have a, a mob uh, who have gathered together who hate Jesus because he claimed to be the Son of God. Now, that's usually the sort of claim uh, that you can dismiss and even ridicule. Uh, but for this man... Uh, as they've seen what he has done, as they've seen what he has said, they've heard what he's said, uh, this man is different. This man has become a person of influence. This isn't someone you can simply ignore as the loony fringe. And so the mob gather together and they are literally screaming for blood. Uh, they want this man dead. In our reading, we also have a Roman leader who, for the rest of history, will only ever be remembered for one decision. You know, he tried to plead with the crowd to release Jesus, uh, but in the end, it was easier to appease the mob and keep peace in the city than to do what he felt was right. And we don't know what motivated Pilate to put a sign above Jesus' head that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. But even if those words were true, they have ended in complete failure. You know, a week earlier, Jesus came into the city and there was singing and praising and dancing. And then a week later, he's been dragged out of the city, uh, beaten humiliated and about to die. And then finally he utters the words, it is finished. And for any observer who was there on the day watching the spectacle, 
then overwhelmingly these words look like the words of failure and defeat. He came, he saw, he said some inspirational words, but he did not conquer. And so, so far, as we read this account, there's not a lot to sort of see much in the way of a Good Friday, is there? But even within this rather depressing account of events, there's this thread of hope. And it can be seen in these rather benign-looking words and this repeated phrase, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. So when it came to dividing up his clothes, they cast lots. This happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes amongst them and cast lots for my garment. It's a reference to Psalm 22 in the Old Testament. We see the words again in verse 28. And so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus says, I am thirsty. And again in verse 36, these things happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. So what looked like failure to anyone who's standing there on the day is in fact actually part of God's greater purpose. So everyone was sort of expecting a Messiah figure coming out of the Old Testament who'd be more like a lion. You know, someone like King David, a warrior king. But instead, the Messiah comes more like a lamb. A lamb who will be sacrificed for the sake and for the good of others. The lion will come, but here we see the Lamb of God. And the issue really comes down to that of sin. That there is something wrong between us and God. And we, we, when we read about the events of Easter, we hear what happened, don't we? You know, we read about how he's dragged out of the city, how he's hung up on a cross. Uh, but we need to read a little more broadly to understand the why. And in fact, Ian read it a little bit earlier in our passage when he goes back further in the book of John and Jesus says these words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. From a society perspective, we like the words, For God so loved the world. Because we now associate love with endorsement. So if there is a love and God loves me, then I should feel confident that God is approving of whatever life choices I am making. He, ma- he loves me no matter what. And we reduce sort of belief down to this sort of vague affiliation and affection, which is perfect. I now feel safe. I don't need to change anything and I don't need to feel bad. But if Jesus came to save, that means he came to save us from something. And that means there's a problem. And we're not so keen on hearing about that, particularly when that problem is tied up with our identity. In fact, I think we've now reached a point in our culture where it's morally wrong to suggest that there's a problem between us and God, because that's not inclusive or tolerant, and it undermines my sense of safety. It's a bit like a doctor not telling me that I've got a problem with my cholesterol. 
And so, you know, I continue going on eating my croissants, you know, which have been baked in sort of delicious butter. And then when I pull my baked delicious croissant out of the oven, I then blather on some more butter because you can never have enough butter. <laughs> and from what, you know, I, go, I explain this to my doctor and he goes, that's wonderful. Fantastic, enjoy that croissant. You know, I might be thanking him at the time and I certainly don't feel anxious or guilty about my croissant. But I'm not going to thank him when I drop dead. <laughs> For Jesus, love actually means telling us when there is a problem. So Jesus says, because I love you, I will tell you there's a problem because I want you to have good and I want you to avoid bad. And the problem is captured in this word sin. We usually think of sin in terms of our behaviours uh, and attitudes, although even they are now up for debate. Uh, but, you know, generally speaking, uh, lying, cheating, stealing, murder, greed, selfishness, uh, not submitting to your parents, uh, they're all sin. Uh, from the parents' perspective, they like to keep the last one on the ledger, on the sin side of the ledger. The kids are trying to sort of get a late scratching. But generally speaking, we sort of get that those things are bad. Uh, but underneath these behaviours is something more significant and something more sinister. And that is that all of these behaviours come from a sinful nature that wants to defy God. We want to exert our perceived right for self-determination. Uh, it might come from a position of rejecting the existence of God altogether in which case my life is simply about constructing my own meaning. And there's as much meaning in me being an abattoir worker as a vegan activist uh, who's handcuffed themselves to the production line. It's my life and I will choose whatever meaning I want for it. Uh, for others, God does exist, but God exists to make my life happy, healthy and fulfilling. But the more we define ourselves against who God has created us to be, uh, the more we seem to make a mess of things, don't we? You know, we talk about ourselves being a progressive society. Things are supposed to be getting better. And at the same time, we seem more divided, uh, more anxious and more medicated uh, than we've ever been before. Uh, and it's not simply, you know, things were great back then and things are terrible now. It's that sin has always been part of the human experience. But if God did create us, then God does know a better way to live. And that better way starts with being in, in relationship with him. And really, that's the heart of the issue. All these other problems that we have in society the heart of the issue is a relationship breakdown between us and our Creator. You know, people often say that belief in God is a crutch. It's one of those words you don't want to get wrong when you pronounce it. Uh, I want to go even further and say, you know, it's not just, you know, something that helps me along. You know, it's more like, you know, a full mobility, you know, wheelchair. You know, with a full-time carer following on behind. You know, the difference between one view and the other is our perception of need. You know, one person looks at the world and they go, you know what, 
I am in control of my own life. I am fit, I'm healthy, I've got it all worked out, there is no God, and I don't need help. I look at myself and I see the opposite. You know, I'm searching for meaning because God has created me to desire meaning. It's wired into who I am as a human being. But if it's just me by myself, how do I possibly work out what is true? You know, you can tell me to be good, but what does that even mean? Who defines good? Even when I think I know what good looks like, my natural tendency is to do bad. I can see it in my own hypocrisy. You know, I can, I can feel the temptations of life. You now they just sort of well up from within you. I can feel that I make choices based on convenience or simply because it helps me get what I want. And if God is real, and if God is going to hold me accountable, then I need all the help I can get. Now, thankfully, Jesus doesn't just tell us there's a problem. He also tells us the solution. And he actually provides the solution. So when Jesus dies on the cross, it says our sin is serious. And it can't just be ignored. And that speaks to the justice of God. You know, I think we all want justice in this world. But invariably, it's someone else. They should pay the price for their action. When they hurt me, they should suffer a consequence. But we certainly don't feel that so much about ourselves. When it comes to ourselves, we want mercy, not justice. Yeah, you can imagine a person, you're walking down the street, right? Imagine you also own a home. That's good if you don't. Well done. Uh, imagine you're walking down the street and someone comes up to you and says, how much do you owe on your mortgage? And you say, a hundred grand. That might be a bit optimistic, but go with me. Imagine the person that turns around and says, I'll tell you what, here's your hundred grand. Pay it off, done and dusted. Yeah, if you were in that situation, there was no way in the world you would look at that and say, I have earned this, or I deserved it. It is simply a random act of kindness. You had a debt, that debt is now paid, and you are free from all of that burden of worry that came with it. That's what Christ does for us on the cross. He pays a debt that we owe. If sin has separated us from God then Jesus dying on the cross restores that relationship. But of course, the stakes are somewhat higher, aren't they? It's not just a cash debt. Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 3, a couple of verses later, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. No one likes talking about hell. It is so devastatingly bad it just cannot possibly be true. In fact, for some Christians, they'll even go so far to say that Jesus saves us, uh, saves Christians for eternal life, but everyone else is just ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Uh, that might be true for our physical body, and certainly that is a far more palatable view. But that's not what the Bible says. Uh, it's not actually what Jesus says. Uh, in fact, Jesus says this about hell. 
I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. By ourselves, we stand condemned. That's the message of the cross. But it doesn't have to be that way. And that should make us all the more thankful for why we have gathered together here to remember an event that is so horrific. Because Jesus died so that we can be reconciled with the God who created us. And that means life now and eternal life in the future. So what's the right response? If belief is more than just a vague affiliation and affection, then what is it? What does God actually want from me? Uh, The short answer is everything. Uh, The slightly longer answer is he wants us to reject our perceived right for self-determination. And he wants us to recognise his lordship. He wants us to hate our sinful behaviour and to love godly behaviour. Which doesn't mean that we won't willfully fail, but even when we do, we recognise that Christ's death on the cross is sufficient. That he will always forgive us when we repent. And he wants us to serve in his purpose for our life, rather than thinking it's all about me and my purpose. You know, Jesus hanging on the cross is an image of complete failure. The system is one, another challenger has been defeated. He wasn't the first person to stand up and claim to be the Messiah. And he was just another one that has gone by the wayside. But in reality, this is the moment that God chose to deal with sin, literally, once and for all. And so the words, it is finished, are words of victory. They're words of completion. Uh, They're words of safety. And if you are a Christian here today, then they're words of solemn joy. Uh, There is a solemnity to what we are gathered for today as we remember the significance of our sin and the seriousness of our sin and the justice of God. But there's also joy uh, because we've been freed from the consequences of sin and with that comes a peace and a completely different perspective on life. So our culture wants to deny sin and reassure ourselves that everything is well in the world and we are collectively better off without God. As Christians, we acknowledge our sin. Uh, We're thankful for what Christ did for us on the cross. We accept the offer of forgiveness. And with that, we also accept his love and his lordship and his grace and his mercy. So thank God for the cross. Amen.